Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome back, Brewers fans, to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go. David, it's been a while since uh, I was here, really two weeks, but it feels like it's been a long time. Last time we were talking, Brewers just finished taking up three out of four from L.A., uh, had some good series against the Padres, and clearly things not going the Brewers' way the last couple of weeks. Tough week last week, uh, Philadelphia. Then this week, uh, six straight games at home here, Cardinals and the Braves coming to town and falling two out of three against you know two good teams, but nonetheless, not the way the Brewers uh, are looking at uh Barely just above 500 now after a rough week. Your thoughts here uh, on what has been uh, a difficult week for the Brewers? Yeah, I mean, you you summed it up. Certainly a difficult week. Brewers really should have at least split. They had six games at home. Uh, the Cardinals and Braves are both pretty good teams, but really not taking care of business at home where you really want to, you really need to. Wasted, again, some good pitching performances. Corbin Burns getting the loss in his five innings, one run start in his return, where he did actually break the record for most strikeouts without a walk to begin a season and actually over any period of time most strikeouts without a walk although it seems like that might be broken by Garrett Cole who's sitting at 56 actively right now Burns finished with 58 uh, although his 52nd was the one that broke the streak but Brewers had some good pitching like always uh, except in Sunday's game and the offense really didn't pick up until also in Sunday's game barely squeaked out a win there which was a really important game I thought still above 500 now but sitting a little bit too close right now already a quarter of the way into the season yeah you know let's just jump into that uh six game here of the week uh kind of can just bypass those first five brewers like you said uh losing two out of three to the cardinals winning um just that uh middle game there in that series and then dropping the first two in the series against the braves before game three kind of a wild game brewers took an early lead uh we were actually talking about you know when we were going to record the podcast this is sunday night recording the podcast and uh, Brewers were up five nothing. We're kind of thinking, okay, game will be over pretty soon. Uh, we'll just hop on the and record the podcast quick after the game. Ended up being a lot later than we had expected. After Brewers got up big eight nothing, uh, and then Atlanta came storming back. Uh, Brewers bullpen ran into some issues. JP Fireisen, who's been outstanding all year, uh, running into some troubles uh, among other arms. Uh, Brewers ultimately taking that one ten nine, but kind of a crazy game. David, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it was a crazy game back and forth. Really a lot of back and forth. It seemed like every time you're like, okay, Brewers probably have this one locked down. They really didn't. I was uh, I was following it was 8 nothing, and then kind of took my eyes off of it for a little bit. And I look back and it's 8-7 and kind of wondering what happened. Didn't actually watch that entire inning. And then Brewers take a 10-7 lead. You think, okay, lead's probably safe. End up winning 10-7 and that was even with the, uh, excuse me, winning 10-9. And that was even with the, the go-ahead or the, the tying run. Um, in scoring position, Austin Riley at the plate, a threat to go deep at any point, really. Uh, and he had a pretty good at-bat against Hayter, as did Freddie Freeman. That was one of the best at-bats I've seen against Hayter ever. Yeah, that Freeman at-bat was an outstanding at-bat. Took, I think, at least a pair of sliders that were just, just off, down and away. Uh, of course, Freeman being a lefty as well, that lefty-on-lefty matchup. Hayter's so tough against lefties. Great at-bat from Freeman. Got to tip your hat on that one. Uh, but Braves really put up a fight. Uh, late in that game, even after we were talking, uh, I believe it was the seventh when Kane hit that two-run single to uh, provide some insurance runs for the Brewers. The Braves opting to keep Sean Newcomb in the game, even though he was really struggling, uh, not only to throw strikes, but really didn't look very good out there. Kind of surprised that they left him in. Uh, I know we, we talked about their bullpen being a little shorthanded. Perhaps that was why. But Braves, no quit in them, um, almost able to come back. And uh, we talked about this as well, but Imagine the Brewers lose that game, uh, just a really, really defeating game uh, after up eight to nothing. Could have been almost a momentum shifter in the season. I could almost, you could, you could argue. So certainly glad the Brewers were at least able to hold on to that one uh, and and take at least one of the three uh, in that Brave series. So we're going to go right ahead into the trivia question for today. We've been talking about the offense a little bit early on here. Uh, some weak offense, but good pitching performances up until Sunday. Uh, so today's trivia question has to do with the, the overall offense as a team. So it's hovering right around this mark, but is the Brewers' current team on base percentage over or under 300? So we are going to talk about that. That's going to be, uh, we're going to have the answer at the end of the podcast. 
Uh, and we're going to look at today's random player of the day. Actually, usually we look at former players. Today it's going to be a current member of the Brewers, Pablo Reyes, utility man. And who is he? Where did he come from? You've been, we've been seeing a lot of Pablo Reyes lately. Uh, so just want to take a look about uh, maybe where his background is and where he's from. Uh, he previously played for the Pirates most recently, 2018 and 19. Actually, he had a pretty solid year and very limited sample size in 18. Hit 293 and just 63 plate appearances. A little bit rough year at the plate in 2019. Didn't that actually appear in the major leagues at all in 2020. I believe the Brewers picked him up on a minor league deal then in the offseason. Brought him in as some depth. And he's actually played okay. He's been pretty solid defensively. He made a really nice play over at third base on the Ender and Ciarte bunt that could have even, looking back now, saved them the game because it became second and third with one out instead of bases loaded, nobody out. Uh, I don't know if Travis Shaw makes that play, but Pablo Reyes did, and he was able to uh, throw out Enciarte at first. Uh, Brewers, of course, ended up just hanging on by one run in that game. Uh, so Pablo Reyes, really not much Major League experience uh, looking back at uh, at his career just with Pittsburgh a few years ago, but he did spend a lot of time in their organization, signed originally in 2012 as an amateur free agent, and spent uh, his whole career there up until his time with the Brewers this year. Yeah, I, I was kind of inspired you to do the Pablo Reyes uh, random player of the day today because he was kind of somebody that kind of just flew under the radar, I, I think, for myself and other Brewers fans. So kind of interesting to see where Pablo Reyes came from, who, like you said, has played uh, a surprisingly large role given uh, the Brewers' injuries and circumstances around the roster. So there you have a little background on Pablo Reyes, like you did, like you mentioned, he did have that nice play, um, and has filled in well for what what you can expect from a guy like Reyes, who's really going to be a, a depth guy and a utility guy. So that's today's random player of the day, Pablo Reyes. Uh, a couple of uh, news items around the Brewers, um, not necessarily transactions. Uh, I guess you could just call them uh, fun things. Good good news around baseball or good news around Milwaukee, really. Uh, with the most recent one being uh, the new updates on capacity. Yeah, 50% capacity they announced, and that began actually this past Saturday already. So Brewers uh, had not not too many tickets on sale originally, but ended up adding on. So I think we had about 15,000, 16,000 at both Saturday and Sunday games, both uh, high marks for the year. And that was good to see a little bit increased uh, in the uh, the support of the team and uh, a little bit louder at the ballpark. Of course, the players always like that. But the big news coming, June 25th, uh, we will see 100% capacity. So that's some pretty big news. Uh, there are one of only a few teams that are going to be having 100% capacity. Of course, the Rangers have already had 100% capacity. I want to say the Astros are at least around that mark, uh, if not at it already. Um, and then also the Twins and the Phillies are, are bringing on 100% capacity, which actually surprised me a little bit uh, based on where they play. It surprised me about the Brewers too, though, especially you get the roof closed, indoor environment. Uh, but certainly if the Brewers think they can do it in a safe manner, it's a great thing to see. And with that, we'll also be coming a lot of the all-fan giveaways. Bobbleheads, of course, always a staple in Milwaukee. Um, I guess I kind of, I kind of really thought about it, but it kind of must be a Milwaukee thing. Of course, we have the Bobblehead Hall of Fame now. In Milwaukee, Brewers seem, seemingly had every single Sunday a bobblehead, especially when they were bad. We'd be having like bobbleheads of like middle relievers from 1984, or or Jim Henderson bobblehead. Yeah, yeah. that was that was a that, that was a little bit of a lower point in the Brewers All Fan <laughs> giveaway, um, All Fan giveaways. But uh, they are doing their their decade weekend. So they did a 50th, 50th anniversary celebration that they were going to have last year. They're going to have that this year instead. And that's going to begin June 4th through 6th with 1970s weekend. We'll see a Barrel Man t-shirt giveaway on Friday. Henry Aaron bobblehead on Sunday. That's always nice to see, uh, especially in light of his death. He's come a little bit uh, more into the spotlight. Um, it's a pretty cool bobblehead though in a Brewer's uniform. Uh, excited for that one, certainly. Some theme nights are back. I think they have like a Top Gun theme night. The uh, the Pride night is back, and they have like a Hawaiian shirt theme night also. A couple yellowish bobbleheads. Uh, one I'd like to highlight, I don't think they've done something like this, but July 9th, we are going to see the green MB logo, uh, the 90s uh, t-shirt giveaway. I haven't, I haven't really seen the Brewers have anything with that logo on it, uh, probably for the better, but Brewers are going to give away um, that shirt. And I wonder if they're going to wear 90s uniforms for the game. It's a possibility, maybe. They haven't really indicated that. Yeah, we'll see if they are able to uh, dust them off or uh, pay somebody enough to make those uh, 
ugly jerseys seen again in that in that series. I, I'd be for it just just for fun, just to yeah, see. Yeah, I it. think they did it in 2010. I th- I think they had one time. I can picture Casey McGee wearing a 90s uniform, which was a, a sight to behold for sure. <laughs> I think uh, I think also it's it's it, we've kind of reached that you know that like too soon time frame where I feel like. It's like okay, we we're, we're kind of past the too soon. It's like yeah, we we know that the, the jerseys were bad, but just we're just gonna embrace it. them at yeah. this point. It's it's been long enough that we can at least uh, admit that they were not good, and we can wear them maybe once every couple of years and uh, uh, just think back to the the good old days, you know, the Mark Loretta days, yeah. as they as as Greg the Brewers Vaughan. fans know. I, yeah. I think I think that when they announced the weekends uh, back, this would have been back in October of 2019, November 2019. They did say that they were going to wear throwback jerseys according to the decade, uh, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I'm a big uh, big uniform guy. I'd be excited if they did that. Um, although, I don't know, yeah, I don't, 90s, I think the weirder one will be uh, maybe seeing the Brewers in like retro 2010s uniforms. If they do choose to do that, will they wear the, the, the M Wheat logo already? I mean, it's not really a retro <laughs> uniform at this point. They were wearing them just two years ago, um, but it would be fun to see that. Uh, and then, lastly, one of the one of the nicer and more interesting giveaways: the the weekend of September twenty fifth and twenty sixth, back to back Bob Euchre bobblehead giveaways. Uh, the first one is going to be a, a WWE Euchre bobblehead. Of course, he's in the WWE Hall of Fame for his broadcasting. And then, just a pretty standard Euchre bobblehead on the twenty sixth, except he'll be a talking bobblehead. So, not exactly sure. Uh, the phrases that he'll say, but you have to think it'll be exciting. Euchre always has some great one-liners. Um, out of these these ones or, or some of the other ones you saw, which giveaway or theme night are you most looking forward to, Peter? Yeah, I think those Bob Uecker bobbleheads are, are intriguing to me. I think the WWE bobblehead is just kind of a fun one. I could see that being kind of more of a collector's item, uh, even though 35,000 of them will be out there. But I think that would be a, a pretty cool bobblehead. Uh, I also like the, uh, the Ben Sheets bobblehead. I think he's... Uh, under-recognized uh, by the Brewers in general. So glad to see a bobblehead from him. And then uh, good to see Ryan Braun's, what, uh, is it 20, 23rd, 24th bobblehead as a Brewer? Yeah, some, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah. Round, round up uh, 35, something like that. But it, it is it, it is a fun bobblehead, uh, one of the more iconic moments from Braun. So that's kind of cool. I guess uh, you don't often see a guy uh, like a former player bobblehead the year after he retires. That's kind of a new thing. I mean, I think only the Brewers do that because they are trying to set the record with the uh, Braun bobbleheads. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm certainly looking forward to that one. It's from his uh, his home run against the Marlins to clinch the division back in 2011. I am looking forward to the Hawaiian shirt uh, theme night, like I had mentioned before. Uh, that one is exciting. They also will be having the Brewers coupon books back. So uh, I'm sure that the uh, uh, some of the uh, cheaper Wisconsinites will be excited about that one. Uh, Mom, just so you know, that one is uh, looks like... That'll be June fifth, so you can you can feel free to grab some tickets for that. Dave and I will come along too if you'd like, but uh, June fifth on that one for for you, mom. But uh, back to the Ryan Braun bobblehead. Just gotta say it real quick. The uh, you were you were talking about the more that one of his more iconic moments there with the uh, 2010 2011 2011 uh, home run there. Uh, one of my favorite bobbleheads, really of all time, as the Brewers uh, probably also based on when I was born in my childhood was that 08 uh, home run that Braun had against the Cubs, right? Uh, in that big home run and the, the bobblehead with him uh, with the fist up running around first base. I feel like that'd be a pretty cool pair of bobbleheads to have together. I, I feel like that was probably Braun's best bobblehead of the 26 that they had while he was playing. Yeah, they found like a way to get a bobblehead of him every year. They had that rookie of the year one with the cheese on the bottom. Oh, uh, yeah, that was pretty that good. One, yeah, it was, was pretty, pretty good. good. He was also in the gauntlet one. Um, I think they had one of him like uh, like a 30-30 bobblehead or something, something like, like that. that. Um, and, and I mean, they just found a way every yeah. other year, it seemed well, like. Well, the the other one I liked was the the Prince Fielder one with the, the crown. That was also a good one from that era. Like, most of the bobbleheads from that era, if you count Derek Turnbow. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the Derek Turnbow, yeah. My favorite was the Jason Kendall with the removable mask. Um, it's kind of random. I know. I always liked the, uh, to take off the mask of his. Yeah, I was even, and actually, I'm trying to remember when I was there, and, and this could have certainly changed, but I was walking past the the Bobblehead uh, Hall of Fame in Milwaukee and saw that they were still closed. So hopefully, they'll open back up. They are. I'm not. I'm not really sure why at this point, but they are doing, I think, pretty well with their online store. Uh, so they're able to stay afloat with that uh, at least. But I I did go there probably two weeks before the shutdown. Uh, back last year, so I was able to go to it. It is a pretty pretty nice place. It, it pleasantly surprised me. 
yeah, I, I wanted to take a trip down there. I remember you, you seeing if I could come. I wasn't able to at the time. And then obviously things happened and they weren't open for long before the shutdown. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think they were only open for a few months. Uh, but we've spent enough time on bobbleheads. Uh, brew- uh, not, not, not if you ask the brewers. Yeah, I don't true. Think, I don't brewers, think so. uh, huge bobbleheads. But one of the guys that I had mentioned last week about possibility of maybe the brewers picking him up, uh, whether it be on a, on a major league deal, minor league deal, who knows what role he would have had, but was Albert Pujols. Player coach deal. Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe he would hitting coach. Uh, a lot of fans are clamoring for the uh, firing of Andy Haynes. Maybe Pujols could have taken over. Um, but he signed with the Dodgers actually this past week. A little bit of a surprise. Uh, this is considering they have Max Muncie at first. They have Turner at third. Um, Gavin Lux at second. Um, not to say that Pujols will be playing second. Uh, but maybe Muncie will slide over a little bit there. So Perhaps we see Pujols at short, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, I do think he has a couple appearances at short in his career. Um, but the real question is who has who has better range in, at short, Uni B or Albert Pujols? I take Pujols any day. Um, yeah, I, I was actually... I was talking with someone recently about um, Daniel Vogelback, his uh, his drop third strike that he uh, was safe on. And, of course, we were talking about drop third strike last week and how I wasn't in favor of them. And I even mentioned how you never see a drop third strike on a high fastball. Of course, what happens, drop third strike on a high fastball. But I, I do think that Albert Pujols swings and misses on that pitch, but... He probably doesn't make it down to first base. He's probably thrown out. That might really be where the difference lies between Vogelbach and, and Albert Pujols. <laughs> speed. Yeah, yeah. The, the speed, I think. Um, but another target that I was even thinking about, uh, there are a lot of Twins fans I know. I went to school in, in Minnesota this past year. Um, and they, they all hate Miguel Sano. And it seems like even the Twins don't really like Miguel Sano. He's over at first base. Hasn't really got going this year. Never really got going last year. Kind of a liability defensively, which makes him a perfect fit for the Brewers, really, at this point. Um, but they don't really have an, an answer at first base. Twins need a little bit of, of starting pitching help. Um, could the Brewers choose to uh, try to trade for Miguel Sano? Now, I don't think the Brewers would be trading from any of their current starting pitchers, but could they trade a guy like Lindblom and then maybe like a, a lottery ticket type uh, young prospect? Or maybe even like Eric Lauer, someone like that. I know the Brewers seem to like Lauer a lot, so I don't know if they would give up Lauer. Um, but I think Miguel Sano's value is about as low as it's going to get right now. A change of scenery could benefit him, especially moving into a more hitter-friendly park here in Milwaukee. Maybe the Brewers try to get someone like Sano. I'm not exactly sure, but seems like it could be an option. And how many years does Sano have uh, remaining under uh, team control? Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's one more after this. It could be his last, but I want to say he's got one more year after this. Yeah, certainly given his performance over the last two years, I wouldn't see the Brewers wanting to give up too much for him. But a guy like Lynn Bloom or even Lauer, like you mentioned, and, and a, a minor uh, prospect, I don't know that the Brewers really miss that too much. Uh, I, I take that chance to maybe get a, a decent Sano. Because you still don't know at this point what to expect from here or the rest of the year. Are we going to see him back on a regular basis? I mean, that's a that's a big question mark over there. And uh, Vogelback hasn't necessarily been great either. So Brewers really need an answer at first base. Uh, whether or not this is going to be a major liability later on in the season or a minor one is yet to be seen. But to be able to add Sano in the mix just to give up you know, a, a depth starter, which is what I would consider Lindblom or Lauer. Or maybe you want to call them a five. I don't know. Uh, kind of depends on on what they're able to do the rest of this year, but I would definitely be open to the Brewers making moves. And generally, when Stern does decide to make a move, it's generally turned out pretty well. Yeah, I don't think that the Twins would accept a deal like that uh, right now. I think they would want to wait to see if he gets going a little bit more. Uh, but maybe he's still struggling, and we get to July, and they're a little bit quicker to get rid of him. As long as we don't get another Jonathan Scope uh, yeah, situation. Yeah, I mean there is there is a risk of that, yeah. of course. Uh, and David Stearns was addressing the media. Uh, just a couple days ago, and, and he seemed to uh, repeat that the Brewers are fine. The Brewers are, uh, are are going to be fine. The offense is fine, which seemed a little bit like the uh, the meme with the dog uh, in the house that's on fire. The, uh, this is fine. Um, that, that's kind of what it seemed like for the offense. I understand Stewart's maybe not wanting to panic. He said uh, it's kind of just a rough stretch, but at the same time, the rough stretch has kind of stretched the whole year at this point. We're a quarter of the way through the year. League-wide offense is down, but the Brewers are still one of the worst offensive teams in baseball. And they were getting away with it a little bit more too early on in the season. Starting pitching has been outstanding, really, 
through and through the, the entire year, but they got away with it even more at the beginning, and they had some perhaps some luck in there with some guys like Billy McKinney, even Tyrone Taylor, who's been swinging the bat better than he really should be over the long haul. So I think there's been some of that as well. But I do I do expect Stearns to say that because if I'm a player and I'm seeing our general manager address the media and tell the, tell the media, yeah, I think we do need to make some changes, I'd much rather see Stearns instill some confidence in, in, in the team and the, the players that he's uh, put around their roster um, and to hopefully go out there and continue to compete. So I don't think that I would take too much... Um, I guess, meaning from what Stearns is saying. I, I think that's sort of the right thing to say in the situation. And as Stearns always does, I think he's kind of always on the lookout for something. If it pops up and he thinks it's a good opportunity for the Brewers, he'll pull the trigger. And if he doesn't see something that's a good opportunity or th- something that he sees as a win either in this year or in the long term, he's perfectly fine just sitting still. He's not going to make uh, un- an unnecessary move, which I think the past GMs for the Brewers may have been more prone to do. Lane Taylor. Uh, not uh, Frank Lane. Not Lane Taylor no. from the Packers. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I almost uh, uh, mixed them up. Um, but he was he was uh, uh, not good. And Brewers have had some some bad GMs. I'm trying to think of the guy that was there before. Oh, that that was Frank Lane. Maybe I think that was there before um, before Doug Melvin in 2002. But Stern certainly has done a great job, even though. Maybe they haven't been as successful. Oh, really? Frank Lane? Oh, it was about 40 You, you, you were mixing up. Uh, there we go. That's 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 where the, the, the mix-up was. Dean Taylor, oh, 99 to 02. And I call him Lane Taylor. Frank that's Lane was from 71 that's to right. 72. Um, so, yeah, a little bit off there. But uh, but Brewers haven't had great GMs, I'd say. Melvin did a pretty good job. Stearns has done a great job uh, overall, I'd say, over the last uh, six years now. And I forget I keep referencing Stearns as the general manager. Officially, Matt Arnold now the Brewers True. general manager too. So I forget, I forget that as well. But yeah, like you said, I, I don't know. Uh, Stearns has been Stearns has been great. I, I don't think the, they really could have gone too much better since than, since his tenure in 2015. But it's kind of a kind of a rabbit trail there on, on David Stearns. But I, I do I'm I, mean, I guess that's that's kind of the segue into what we're talking about next is you know how do we fix the Brewers? Uh, is the Brewers move to just wait things out, wait till Christian Yelich hopefully gets back healthy? wait for uh, guys to start hitting the ball a little bit better. What are your thoughts on on where the Brewers turn here from here? I do think that Yelich coming back will make a difference. Uh, I mean, I guess that's not a very not a very hot take, but uh, of course Yelich is one of the best hitters in baseball, and he is right now at a, on a rehab assignment to uh, Nashville, and there's a chance he could be back by the end of the week. If we do get um, the Yelich of 2018-2019 back, which I think is a, a real possibility, then I think the Brewers are looking at a, a considerably better offense. Lorenzo Cain also really hasn't gotten going yet, but I think he will in the coming uh, days or weeks even. Uh, and I think him along with Jackie Bradley Jr. also, I think he's going to get going. There is a little bit more optimism there. I do think, though, with that said, that the Brewers still do need to add a bat at some point between now and the trade deadline. I think the Brewers' offense will be better. Um, we've seen we've seen Travis Shaw come up with some clutch hits, even though maybe he hasn't been uh, been outstanding uh, with the bat. Urias has been up and down, but he's been all right. Colton Wong has really provided stability, as has Avisail Garcia. Uh, but I I do think the Brewers' offense will pick up some. But to be where the team that they they really should be or they want to be, I think the Brewers do need to add a bat. Uh, but in the short term, I was thinking about like maybe what are some ways to. Uh, to solve some of the the offensive issues that they have. Um, The Brewers aren't going to trade for a bat right now, I don't think. So how can the Brewers get more offense? And I was looking at the stats before uh, before our episode today. The Brewers currently are slugging 358, which is one of the the worst marks in baseball. I think it's like third or fourth worst. I know this is kind of an old school thing, but... Could the Brewers actually add more offense by bunting more often? Uh, it's not really something that's popular in baseball right now. Uh, we don't really talk about bunting in, in a positive light much, especially sacrifice bunting. But would the Brewers benefit from maybe bunting more? And especially with guys towards the bottom of the lineup, we're talking about your your Billy McKinney, your Tyrone Taylor, uh, your Pablo Reyes types, especially setting it up for maybe Colton Wong. Then you get an opportunity for Colton Wong hit a base hit with a runner in scoring position, run scores, and maybe you had a, a one nothing lead and it lengthens it to 2 nothing. That can go a long way, especially with a good pitching staff. Uh, do you think that I'm, I'm, it's, it's a reasonable 
thing to uh, to hope for or think that it's a it's a real possibility that the offense improves if you start bunting more, or am I just kind of stuck in 1984 or something <laughs> like that? Uh, first off, I'd like to see Vogel back start bunting a little bit more, definitely. Well, against the shift, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I would. I mean, he's hitting 190. I mean, he has to be getting more than more than 20 percent of his bunts down successfully down the third base line. When but but you're there. you're expecting him to ru- be able to run to first. Well, that is true. Yeah. But I, I do think he'd be able to beat him out. I'd be kind of concerned if he wasn't. <laughs> but anyways, in all seriousness, around the bunting. Generally, I wouldn't be necessarily a huge fan besides maybe doing it for a short stint to, like you said, maybe try to just switch things up. Uh, see if you can get a guy uh, who's hot. Narvaez still swinging the bat well. Like you said, Shaw's had some clutch hits throughout the year. And maybe you get a guy uh, in scoring position for one of those bats. Um, but the way the Brewers lineup is built, I would be more open to it. We do have a little bit more speed than I think we've had in a while. Um, with like some of the guys you mentioned, Lorenzo Cain, Urias, JBJ, Colton Wong even. Um, so I think we do have some speed that, or even Pablo Reyes for that matter, that, that maybe we do drop some bunts down, both on the sacrifice side and, and maybe even trying to bunt for hits. Um, kind of just trying to do whatever you can to get on base at this point. Um, and so I guess I'd say I'm open to it. What I think, what would I go towards it for a long-term strategy over the year? I wouldn't, but maybe you just throw a few more bunts in here once in a while. You never know. Just put the ball in play and good things will happen. Uh, as we're talking about 80s mantras. Um, so I guess in summary, I would say I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be uh, super in favor of the Brewers shifting their strategy by any means to towards bunting more often throughout the season. But oh, if over the next week the the offense continues to struggle, it may be worth a shot just to try to switch things up. Yeah, especially I think when you're going towards some of those hitters at the bottom of the order, uh, the Brewers are hitting 214 as a team right now. So if you have a runner on first and say one out. What are the chances that you're going to be able to score him? Extremely low. If you say there's an 80% chance you get the bunt down, uh, sacrifice him over, which I think it's that's a pretty fair expectation for a major leaguer. Uh, now we're looking at you need one hit uh, rather than maybe two singles or a, a ball in the gap. The Brewers really haven't been able to do that, um, say for a couple guys. So I think I think that it it might be a, a worthwhile thing to look at. I'm sure the Brewers are looking into how they can improve as an offense. And maybe that's one of the things they're looking at, even though Council really has not shown the willingness to bunt very often. And overall, I'd say for the better. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is that I don't know that bunting has to be the only thing you look at. I think the other thing you can look at, too, and this is easier said than done, but putting the ball in play when it's important, you know, second and third, one out, and you get a strikeout. Uh, and O'Hira did that multiple times early in the season in those situations. Well, I mean, O'Hira was striking out with nobody on, nobody out. Yeah, that is fair. That is fair. But uh, but those types of at-bats, which go under the radar, you don't really see them much. Uh, when you look at the box score, you know, it's a strikeout or it's a, it's a pop, infield pop-up. But at-bats like that with second and third, one out, runner on third, one out, uh, or even runner on first, nobody out for that matter, and trying to get the runner over, runner on second, nobody out. I mean, in the last game, Brewers did ultimately win this one against the Braves. But the, the Brewers were 2 for 15 with runners in scoring position, and they scored 10 runs. So I, I don't know how you even score 10 runs going uh, 2 yeah, for 15 know. with runners in scoring positions, but they had 11 players left on base in the game. So, besides, of course, we don't have – right now we're, we're, we're having a hard time just getting hits, but sometimes it also comes down to – are you having good at-bats? Are you moving runners when you need to? The little things that don't show up in the box score, but when you watch a baseball game, you, you can tell when the offense is, is driving. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's the offense that's really been the issue, but um, could it be worthwhile to let the starters work a little bit deeper into games? Um, of course, we saw the uh, the bullpen blow up today, and the Brewers were able to still squeak out the win. Uh, Freddie Peralta got the win somehow, even though... Uh, it seemed like he came out of the game, and then there was like an, another entire game. Yeah, he pitched the first uh, half of the game, yeah, or the first yeah. game, and then the second, second half of the game was, was like you said, a, sec- a second game in of itself. Uh, I think that's a fair question to, to, to consider and to ponder. Uh, again, it's something that, as the game of baseball has changed over the years, starters not going deeper into games as a whole, and the Brewers certainly, uh, I would say, I don't know if I'd say they were kind of uh, the front runners of it, but certainly have been doing it a lot over the last couple of years. And Brewers fans like ourselves have gotten more used to it and accustomed to it. And again, I think it is, again, for the better. I think council and the whole Brewers uh, management and even general management for that matter have done a good job doing uh, that and building their team around it, putting what has been a very, very good bullpen for years now 
I think it's worth considering. And in a normal year, I may say, yeah, let's try to ride Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, especially those top three guys, a little bit more into later games, um, deeper pitch counts. But given the circumstances of 2020's shortened season, the uncertainty around you know how long uh, these pitchers are going to be able to last and the health of the pitchers, I personally wouldn't be in favor of trying to stretch out multiple starts, especially from the Brewers' top starters. Yeah, I think that's a fair question looking at some of the workloads of these pitchers. But at the same time, they, they have been training for this for a, a long time. Uh, if you look at someone, especially like Woodruff or Burns, they have like really good pitchers builds. We're not talking about somebody who's 5'10", 160. Like a Zach Davies that you can't really expect him to throw 200 innings uh, or for his body to hold up that long or his arm. Uh, but I think seeing them work a little bit deeper into games, uh, I think... I think that might be a way. Uh, you also save your bullpen, and I think by saving the bullpen, the bullpen becomes better because if Woodruff's maybe averaging instead of six innings a start, now he's averaging seven innings a start. That means Fireisen doesn't have to pitch what feels like three out of every four days. I don't know exactly what the number is, but it feels like he's pitching super often. Or Brad Boxberger, who mm -hmm. has been pretty good so far, or Brent Suter, I think is really the main one since he's been really like that bridge guy. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point you bring up, but I would argue that you can replace some of those bullpen arms. It's easier to get some additional bullpen depth. Not that I think that, you know, Brock Boxberger, Fire Eyes, and all those guys are going to either get hurt or just have to limit their innings later on. But to to say let's let's put the, let's tack on the extra innings to Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, and then see the effects that they may have, whether that's an injury or just declining performance late in the season. Of course, with Corbin Burns, we saw that with the injury last year. I'd much rather personally put a little bit extra workload on a guy like Brad Boxberger, Fire Ryzen, who, you know, we have Justin Topa coming back, hopefully. Um, and it's just easier to, to, to fill those bullpen depth as opposed to replacing Brandon Woodruff. Yeah, that is true. And one thing that maybe it's a minor thing, um, but the Brewers have a couple off days coming up. Would it be advantageous for the Brewers to maybe slide up Peralta a day in the rotation and move back either Hauser or Anderson? Uh, then instead of having your three best starters going on three consecutive days, you mix it up a little bit. And maybe because the Anderson and Hauser starts are usually where the bullpen's more taxed, um, could you do, do it that way? I know kind of as a counter argument, John Smoltz always says uh, that you want to have the best bullpen ready for your best arms because you, you have to know that you, you can't lose it when your best guys are on the mound. Uh, so you have to have everyone ready. Uh, but the Brewers' bullpen has kind of faltered when they have to throw four or five innings, maybe not the seven, eight, nine, like Fire Ryzen to Williams to Hayter. Yeah, I would I would disagree with Smoltz. Uh, I think that's kind of a hoorah-rah, let's rally around our top guy and make sure we don't lose that game. I, I, that's a little bit how I feel. Uh, I think it's you a think little bit... You think Smoltz was saying hoorah-rah? I, I do, I do. Yes, yes, yes I, I, I certainly do. I, I just think it's more strategic to to be thinking ahead on that. And like you said, I mean, the way the Brewers go, it's unlikely, it's uncommon that we see Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta um, going less than six. I mean, sometimes they go five, I guess, but it's unlikely. And generally, we see five or six strong innings too, and oftentimes a lead, um, as opposed to Hauser, who's been shaky, um, and the rest of the rotation as well. So I would actually be a fan of the Brewers mixing it up a little bit. I, maybe we get one less start from Peralta, um, over the course of the season, but do we make that up over uh, mixing up the, the Brewers' use of the bullpen? I think we probably do, so I generally would be in favor of that. I would say, though, about having them saying, well, it's not that big of a difference. They're already going six, um, and a lot of the time, you look at the pitch count, uh, but a lot of the times, they're cruising. They're going six innings, one hit, one walk, uh, where you don't have to make, I know we were talking about this earlier, but you don't have to make a lot of high-stress pitches I think that also should be a consideration because that's a pretty big difference when you're making pitches with runners on all the time versus when you're making pitches with nobody on all the time. Uh, it's a lot easier to to go through an order and go maybe 105, 110 pitches. Brewers only have had, I think, one or two, one outing the yeah, whole year yeah, one outing. of uh, over 100 pitches. I think that's something that maybe they should look at. I, I guess that to some degree I would agree with you. I, I was very surprised to see that stat, one start over 100 pitches this year. Uh, really did surprise me. So I guess I could I would agree that we could probably stretch them out a little bit more um, in those games where they really are cruising. And Woodruff, Burns, and really Peralta, but especially Woodruff and Burns, have proven themselves that 
you know, these are top pitchers in all of baseball. Um, so they've also earned the right to be able to go back out there in the seventh, third time through the order um, and still be able to get out. And you, you still want to ride your, your best pitchers um, in that seventh inning sometimes, like you said, mixing it up so that you're not always seeing Fire Eyes and pitch just about every other game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I feel like every uh, every segment we have slotted for today's episode just keeps segueing perfectly into the next one. Um, but I, I brought up earlier, uh, do the Brewers have three aces in Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta? And I was thinking back, I mean, uh, and I, would, I wouldn't necessarily define an ace as just the best starter on the team, but I think there's a, a pretty clear distinction, clear picture of, like, who is an ace. And uh, when I was looking back on, like, Brewers franchise history, you could say, um, maybe like Mike Caldwell had a year or two as, as an ace. Uh, Pete Vukovic, I would say in, in 82 was an ace. Uh, Teddy Higuera for a few years and maybe Ben Sheets. Uh, of course, CC for, for that half year. But the Brewers really haven't had an ace for a while. And the, could the Brewers have three aces right now? Um, I, I would say it's at least a possibility uh, that the Brewers have Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta all what I would consider to be aces. What do you think about that, though? No, I think the Brewers certainly have had a lack of aces uh, throughout the years. I, I, I don't even know. Like you said, Ben Sheets, probably the last. Oh, I guess Sabathia. But Sabathia Sheets, I, I don't know. Gallardo was never really an ace. Garza, maybe? Uh, no, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> he did have that, that one start, though, that he uh, went, I think, six innings, one run. No, Braden Looper. Oh, yeah. Braden Looper. 14 yeah. wins. That, 14 wins. Yeah, definitely. That's the definition of an ace right there, right? Zach mm-hmm. Davies was an ace then, yeah, too. Yeah, true. 18? Willie, Willie Peralta. Oh, yeah. 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 Big Willie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good times. Um, but back to your question, do the Brewers have three aces? Uh, de- definitely depends on your definition of an ace, but I don't know that I would say the Brewers have three aces. Uh, I have a lot of confidence now at this point in Peralta. He's shown to become a, a, a very consistent starting pitcher, which frankly has surprised me. Uh, we go way back to the offseason and Brewers bringing up Peralta back in the rotation. I, honestly, I wasn't a fan. I, I thought this, that he had his chance and, and, and he had missed his chance to be able to consistently pitch in the starting rotation. Certainly has proved me and everybody else wrong this year, and I am more confident in him. I, I think he has proven that he can uh, succeed as a starter in baseball. I just want to say for the record, he didn't prove me wrong because I said uh, I said he's going to be an all-star at the start of the year as a starter. I said three three seven ERA was what I had him projected for as an all star. So um, I just want to make that clear. And, and he's not an all star yet, so, That's, so we'll see. True, we'll see. But he is a. I will say like he's he's definitely closer to an all star than he is uh, to having to go back to the bullpen. So certainly, certainly you are on the are right on that. Um, and, and I also think Freddie hasn't doesn't have quite the track record. Maybe you could argue Burns doesn't as much, but Burns has just been uh, outstanding. Um, the, the best pitcher in all of baseball since he flew onto the scene last year. Uh, so I do think that Burns has established himself and Woodruff with a little bit more, uh, track record than Corbin Burns. I think the Brewers do have two aces. I do think Brandon Woodruff is an ace and I think Corbin Burns is an ace. I I think Freddie Peralta has the, the chance of becoming an ace. If he continues this, the way he's pitching, this year for the entire year, and you asked me that question in the offseason, then I, I think you could make the argument, yes, the Brewers do have three aces, uh, Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta. Uh, but at this point, I'd like to see a little bit more consistency for a longer period of time from, from Freddie. Just so we're clear on like exactly what an ace is, like how many how many aces do you think there are across the league, across the majors then? Are we looking at like 30, 45, uh, like, like good starters, or are we looking at like the elite, like five like DeGrom, Garrett Cole, Kershaw type guys or uh, somewhere in the middle? I think somewhere in the middle. I think it's more than five certainly, but I think it's probably between 10 to 15 uh, pitchers, maybe on that 15-ish side uh, was what I is what I would consider aces. And, and some of those guys, like you mentioned, DeGrom, Garrett Cole, Kershaw, Walker Bueller, um, I would all consider aces um, among, among others. But probably if I had to throw out a number, I would probably be around 15. I, I generally would probably have a little bit of a tighter definition than maybe some people would have. Um, just because I like to see a little bit more of a track record than, I don't know, a guy like Trevor Rogers, who's had a very good year this year. I, I don't know if I'd consider him an ace yet, just because he hasn't had as much of a track I'd record. I'd be tempted to. Uh, I, I I'm sure Trevor you would. Rogers, I'm but, sure you would. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I'm not sure if I would. I would. Um, I, I might go Wade Miley. Uh, uh, yeah, the no-hitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was an ace for, an, for one night at least. Um, I, I, I would say I'm kind of right there with you on the number of aces. Uh, I would say that I think there are maybe a few more this year, 
Uh, I know we've seen pitching go go up as a whole, so I think that that it seems like it's a possibility. And I would make the case that Freddie has pitched like an ace uh, so far this year. The one thing that I would say is um, you don't depend on Freddie like you would an ace that's like the guy on the on the staff. See, I think that's the difference too. You said Freddie pitched like an ace. I would agree with that statement. Freddie Peralta has pitched like an ace this year, but I but yet I wouldn't call him an ace. Uh, because to me, he hasn't done it long enough where I would qualify him as an ace. But I think this year he's pitched like an ace. Like I said, he puts up these numbers that he has this year, the rest of the year. You asked me in the offseason whether Freddie Peralta is an ace. I'll probably go with a yes. Freddie Peralta is an ace. But at this point, to me, he's just pitching like one. Similar to what I would say Trevor Rogers is doing this year. Yeah, and I think that's certainly a, a fair point. Um, but at the same time, I think... Um, you, I don't. I mean, I guess it's it's a pretty subjective debate, uh, kind of just how you, however you define an ace. Um, but I, I think that Freddie, at least the opportunities he's gotten in the rotation. Um, I mean, take out the ones from two, three years ago that are he's a, he's a much different pitcher now. For sure. Um, but he's made the most of the opportunity he's gotten. Uh, I think in in a similar way to a rookie coming up and just making an immediate impression in the rotation, and he's shown that he's been the dominant bullpen arm. Uh, and he's carried that over into the rotation. So I I guess I, I don't know if I'd quite put him on that ace level, but I maybe think he's a little bit closer uh, than you would seem to indicate. Uh, and I, I know like a couple of years ago, remember that, that big Cy Young debate when it was Kershaw, Grinke, and Arietta? Um, Arietta actually ended up winning. He had a 177 ERA, but Grinke had a, I think a 166 ERA. Kershaw had like 300 strikeouts. It, it was something like that. Um, and there was, I think it was, I think it was Christopher Russo on MLB network, um, <laughs> who was saying this, although I do, I do think it was a fair point. He was saying, I would take Arietta because Grinky and Kershaw always have each other. If Kershaw has a bad start, you know that you've got the ERA champion going the next start. Uh, Arietta didn't have that. I mean, he had some solid arms behind him. Um, uh, but it, it could Burns and Woodruff be better because they kind of feed off each other. It's possible, but I, I would say that they're both probably aces at this point. I think you would make the same, a similar argument. The fact that the Brewers have a very good bullpen too, because you got to, if you have a guy, you you know, that that situation where you've got a guy outstanding starting pitcher, but he knows he's got no bullpen. Well, every start he's gearing up to try to go seven, eight, nine, because he doesn't want to hand off the ball to somebody else and uh, blow the lead and uh, heaven forbid he lose the win. Um, just ask Jacob deGrom. Exactly. Yeah. He's uh, just a few times that's happened to him. Um, so I, I do think that that could play a role as well, maybe on the flip side, that if you don't trust your bullpen, you may be trying to push things a little bit farther, trying to conserve your energy perhaps to, to be able to go seven, eight, nine innings. Um, so I think that can play a role similar to, you know, Woodruff and Burns potentially trying to feed off each other and, and not feeling like they have to do everything themselves. Yeah. And I think it's just crazy that Freddie entered the year as our five starter. Um, he has, he's pitched anything really, anything but a five starter. Um, the Fangrass hasn't updated their leaderboards yet from Sunday's game, uh, but I'm expecting that it'll probably move into somewhere around 8th place, 7th, 8th place in the NL in, in war for pitchers. He has uh, one of the best expected ERAs based on the quality of the contact is, that he's given up as well as strikeout walk rates. And even his ERA is still very good. It's at 2.4 now after Sunday's start. So Freddie Peralta is really impressed this year. Um, I, I do think he could be an all-star, even in a league where there are a, a lot of pitchers. I think uh, maybe the, the biggest reason why he might not get an all-star appearance is because of like the Pirates needing an all-star or uh, some, something like that, that stupid rule about every team needing an all-star. I hate that rule. Yeah, I, it would be pretty cool. I mean, think about the years and how many Brewers starting pitchers have been all-stars in the last 10, 20, 30 unfortunately, years, yeah. and the Brewers could have three starting pitchers in yeah, one year. Even, I mean, even looking, I mean, Woodruff was two years ago, and Gallardo was in 2010, and um, Ben Sheets was a couple times. Yeah, he, he started, started in LA, oh, yeah, yeah, Yankee Stadium. Uh, but is that it? Uh, I mean, it might be. I mean, uh, otherwise, I mean, I look think back to the 90s, maybe the Brewers had, let's see, Dan, uh, Dan Culp, he was a, a reliever uh, in 04. So looking back, all the way back to looking, you know, starting in just... Higuera. Higuera, yeah. It goes all the way back to, to Teddy Higuera in 1986. 
So the only ones they've had, and both Gallardo and uh, Ricky Bone, Ricky Bonus actually. I had think that. he was a reliever though. I, I he? thought he had a really good first half to that nineteen ninety four season. It's uh, possible. Yeah, we I, I have to look, but we we somebody can uh, correct us on that if we're wrong. I thought he was a starter that had a really good first half and then like kind of fell off the map the second half of the year. I could be wrong on that, but that's what my memory's uh, telling me. But yeah, that I mean, anytime a team has three starting pitchers and they're not the Dodgers uh, or the Yankees really the, the, the Dodgers. Um, it's impressive, but for the Brewers to do it, given their history, um, it is rather impressive. And at this point, there's no question that the three of them would be deserving. I sure hope that they would. Um, kind of on a side note, you actually mentioned expected ERA for Freddie Peralta. Kind of interesting to take a look at that. Um, he actually has a better expected ERA than, than Brandon Woodruff. Um, behind Corbin Burns, who's been one of, if not the best pitcher in baseball so far this year. Um, but kind of interesting that Freddie actually has an expect better ex- expected ERA than Brandon Woodruff so far this year. And everyone not named Corbin Burns and Jacob deGrom. Uh, so really impressive for Freddie. Maybe he uh, he might even be better than the way he's pitching right now than his ERA might indicate. Uh, but either way, he's been a, an outstanding arm for the Brewers. They have, uh, if not three aces, they have at least two aces and a budding ace, I guess is kind of what we've determined. Freddie Peralta is still pretty young. I think he's only 25 right now. Um, so, I mean, if you think about like Woodruff at, at 25 was still just kind of getting, gaining his footing in the major leagues, even though this is Peralta's fourth year now, um, he's really coming into his own now at age 25. And that's been excellent to see. That's been great. He had a really nice change up he threw against Freddie Freeman. I saw, uh, if he gets that change up down with the fastball, the slider, um, he is, he's, he's really good. So, um, either way, I really excited. The Brewers have Freddie Peralta locked up as well. Yeah, absolutely. Exciting for the Brewers to have those three young starting pitchers' arms and exciting to see what they're able to do both this year and the years ahead. So so as we wrap up here today, uh, looking ahead to what the Brewers' uh, schedule looks like this week, they've kind of got a, a, an interesting two-game set uh, at Kansas City and then a three-game weekend set in Cincinnati against uh, their uh, division opponents, the Cincinnati Reds. So a much easier schedule this week. Uh, maybe that's the way the Brewers are able to get back on track. They also have days off on Monday and Thursday. So maybe well-placed days off and, and some easier competition would certainly be nice if the Brewers could take three out of five, four out of five against teams that are very beatable. Certainly, yeah. The, the Royals and the Reds, both are teams that the Brewers should theoretically win at least three out of five, even though Royals got off to a hot start, but then they, they ran, I think, an 11-game losing streak. So uh, they have not been playing well as of late. Reds are a very shaky team. They also got off to a pretty good start. Not quite as good as the Royals, but they've been scuffling a little bit more as of late. So hopefully the Brewers can take advantage of that, maybe gain a little bit more uh, stability uh, as far as uh, their, their record. And going forward, just seems like they've been a, a pretty inconsistent ball club. So hopefully the Brewers are able to uh, take care of the Royals and the Reds. Uh, one thing that they didn't do at, at home this this week, uh, some easier opponents on the road. Hopefully the Brewers are able to have, have a little bit of better week. And maybe the off days will help the position players a little bit. Uh, hopefully also Christian Yelich back by the end of the week. Yeah, that would certainly be a big boost. And that should also help the Brewers uh, as far as consistency as well. And kind of just an update on the Brewers' standings here in the NL Central. Uh, Cardinals taking over that top spot in the NL Central at now 23-17. and 17. They're up two and a half games to the Brewers, who are just a game above 500 at 21-20. and 20. So like you said, hopefully the Brewers are able to get back on track, take three out of five, four out of five here this week. Uh, Red sitting at an even 519 and 19, Cubs 19 and 20, and the Pirates 17 and 23. So uh, nobody exactly running away with the division, but that, but like you said, quarter of the way through the 2021 season, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Uh, feels like we just started the season, uh, and to think that we're already a quarter of the way, and we haven't seen much of Christian Yelich at all either. So uh, absolutely, like you said, hopefully we we do see Christian Yelich get back on the field at the major league level this week. Uh, certainly, we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, as well for next week's episode. But before we get out of here, David, uh, let's let's recover today's trivia question. And uh, what is today's trivia question? Today's trivia question was whether the Brewers had a team on base percentage of over 300 or below 300 on the year. So what is what do you think is over or under for that mark? Well, uh, during the podcast, we talked about the Brewers team batting average sitting at 214 um, and talking about how abysmal the Brewers' offense has been. So given the circumstances, I'm going to go under on the on the team on bat, uh, on base percentage. Over. That's actually incorrect. It's 301. So I actually I had this question written in the document, and it was going to be under. But then the Brewers, of course, came out uh, 10 runs on, uh, on Sunday and pushed it from 296 to 301, rounded up. 
uh, with the with the percentage points. So um, see, I had calculated it beforehand in my head. Uh, yeah, and, and before, and I forgot to count today's game. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So Brewers uh, just above three hundred, but still far Covering. from where you want to be. Is that that's effectively what the Mendoza line of on base percentage? Yeah, three hundred. It just looks bad if it's yeah, below three hundred. So as we wrap up here, uh, again, Brewers scuffling this week, falling two out of three against the Cardinals and the Braves at American Family Field. Uh, pretty big news for the Brewers, upping it up to 50% capacity and 100% capacity here at the end of June. Uh, exciting for us, uh, all Brewers fans. And then also taking a look at uh, the many, many bobbleheads the Brewers will have, as well as Ryan Braun's uh, 96th bobblehead as a Brewer. And uh, taking a look at you know what outstanding starting pitching the Brewers have had from Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Freddie Peralta, and just ex- how exciting that is for the Brewers the rest of the year. Uh, David, your final thoughts here before we let our listeners go. Yeah, of course we've uh, established that the Brewers' offense has been abysmal this year, uh, but I was looking at their team batting average, which I think right now sits at third worst in the league. If the Brewers were to finish with a 214 team batting average, which is what they're at right now, uh, that would be it. If you exclude the 2020 Reds in the 60-game season, uh, that would be the second-worst mark in the live ball era to only the 1968 Yankees. Now, of course, there'd be a couple other teams that would be below that mark also if the season were to end today. Uh, But the Brewers certainly not wanting to be in that company. Uh, 1968 Yankees, that was the year of the pitcher. We saw Bob Gibson with his 1.12 ERA. Denny McLean, 31 wins. I think the league-wide batting average that year was like 230, something like that. So not quite as bad when you put it into perspective, even in a 2021 that has been filled with pitching. Brewers offense has been terrible, and that's even really just one stat, one way that we can kind of look at how bad the offense has been. But there are many ways to look at it. Uh, Really everything has been down, except maybe the walk rate has been okay. Um, And even that, I mean, it's hard to score runs when you're walking and and not getting hits. Yeah, I just asked Colin Walsh how his uh, MLB career uh, has gone. Got to get that quick Colin Walsh reference in, uh, on today's podcast. Got to get the, get that in at least once a month. Uh, but th- thanks for sharing that. Kind of interesting um, as we as we look at as we quantify exactly how bad the Brewers' offense has been. Of course, it's only a quarter of the way uh, through Brewers without their best bat in the lineup just about the entire year and, and missing Lorenzo Cain and uh, many of those other bats have uh, not exactly shown up as well throughout the season. So hoping for better days to come. Uh, Brewers five games coming up this week against. Uh, the Royals and the Reds. Uh, hope you guys get a chance to go out to American Family Field. And as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there and interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.